0: Hello, and thank you for joining me today on Sleep Medicine Topics. My name is Dr. Kevin Smith, and I'm a clinical psychologist specializing in behavioral sleep medicine. I'm also the psychologist for the Sleep Disorder Center at Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City, Missouri, and I'm joined today by my colleague and friend at the Sleep Disorder Center, Dr. David Ingram. He is a physician who is board certified in sleep medicine. Dave, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure, Kevin. So this is the first in what I hope to be a a series of podcasts focusing on some of the more common sleep problems that people are experiencing. The idea behind this really came out of my observations of many of my colleagues, friends and family who are struggling with sleep these days more than ever with all the things that are going on in the world. So I thought it would be useful to review the symptoms, causes and treatments for some of the more common sleep disorders. And you don't need a background in sleep to benefit from this podcast. It's really meant for anyone who has questions about sleep. And in fact, my goals of the series is just to also be informative, but interesting as well. So I think you can have a little bit of fun when you're learning. So we'll see how that goes. (laughs) Sound good to you, Dave? That sounds great. Yep. All right, a quick disclaimer before we start the opinions expressed today do not represent any other entity and are solely our own opinions And of course before considering making any changes that could affect your sleep or physical or mental health in any way You want to consult a physician the information presented today is general and therefore it might not be specific to you and It does not constitute medical advice so The focus of the podcast today is going to be on medical sleep issues. And in the future, we might do topics such as insomnia that could cover a couple of podcasts. But Dave and I talked before we started. And the two that we're going to focus on today are probably the two, Dave, would you say the most common that you see? Absolutely. Um, Yeah. 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 Restless leg syndrome and sleep apnea. So let's start with restless leg syndrome. And I can already tell that's going to be a mouthful. So I plan on using <laughs> the acronym RLS, <laughs> um, which is a, is it's popular in that way. So Dave, could you start us off by just giving us a general overview of what restless leg syndrome or RLS is?
1: Sure. Yeah. The first uh, thing about restless leg or RLS is that it does have different names. And if you think Russ's legs in him is a mouthful. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was kind of a push to actually put a new label on it because uh, I guess Russ's leg didn't sound serious enough. Uh, so they they now uh, another name for it is also Willis eckbaum disease, uh, and so that it emphasizes the fact that it's a disease. Uh, but in any case, you know whatever name or label you put on it, uh, I, saw,
0: I did yeah. need that. Sorry to interrupt. It no, no, was no. Yeah. Um, I think. And then that, and maybe you'll be talking about this today, but, um, I think the concern was that the name doesn't make it sound official, you know, yeah, like e- exactly yeah. and then adding on a syndrome, like itchy nose syndrome or something like that, <laughs> where we know it's a real thing, but the name itself, I, I, I've heard
1: people say, is that a real thing? Have right. you it, heard that? Yeah. Like, that, that name didn't kind of reflect, uh, how just bothersome this can be and, if, and and how much it can affect people in their daily lives. Uh, so yeah, exactly right. Uh, and the disease I think was meant to putting that label on it, I think was meant to emphasize that this, Hey, this is a real thing. Uh, and it's important for people to think about and consider and get treated.
0: And do we want a little trivia on that name real quick? W- should, why not? Okay. Yeah. I have that. You're like, Go ahead. Yeah. 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 Um, <laughs> <British>? <laughs> physician, Dr. Sir Thomas Willis first noticed the ailment during his studies of the human nervous system. Um, So that's the Willis part. And then Swedish neurologist, Dr. Carl Axel Ekbom, named the condition restless leg syndrome. So that's how they came up, right, with the Willis Ekbom name. It's harder to say you're right than restless leg syndrome, but that's okay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it is actually really fascinating to go back and read their initial descriptions uh, of the disease because it it really nails home uh, what people experience and, and the words that they still use today. So, uh, but in any case, to answer your original question, uh, restless leg or willisac bum, uh, basically, uh, this is a sleep disorder where you get these weird, strange, bothersome sensations in your legs uh, at night. And uh, you may have uh, this feeling like you have to move your legs. You lay down, you're you're trying to do everything right. You know you need your, you know, eight hours or whatever to, to function at your best. And uh, golly, you just can't fall asleep because your legs are driving you nuts. Uh, and, and people use different words to, to kind of describe what that feels like. But uh, uh, just an uncomfortable sensation, a having to move sensation in the leg is is the most uh, common uh, symptom that people uh, uh, kind of report or, or experience with it.
0: So when you say un- uncomfortable, um, that's, that's what I hear too. What I don't hear a lot, and maybe it's a, a way to help people differentiate is significant pain. Would you agree that oh, if yeah. it's, if it's restless, and, it probably isn't painful. It's just more annoying and uncomfortable is that fair to say oh exactly
1: yes uh they're gonna be using words like uh or they may be feeling like a creepy crawly feeling in their legs maybe a pulling feeling or like an itching it's usually a deeper kind of feeling uh it's usually in both legs rather than one uh and it's usually not like on the surface of a skin kind of a feeling it's usually deeper and it's usually below the knees uh, uh in the legs so that's that's usually the description uh, uh that they're going to be providing me uh rather than just a pain if it's a pain or, or if they're describing more like a cramp uh that can be something else so for example some people do get knock, uh, nighttime leg cramps uh like the you know charlie horses in, in your calves and call it that's also extremely bothersome uh but it's it's not restless leg it's it's a different entity altogether
0: now, I don't know if you personally have ever experienced uh, RLS symptoms. I think I have, and it is bizarre because it it really feels like it's coming from inside your legs and, and you're driven to move them. And, and then when you do, it stops. Um, and the reason why I asked about pain is I was at a, a conference many, many years ago where one of the pharmaceutical companies who uh, makes a medication to treat RLS – had this display where <laughs> you sat in this chair and you stuck your legs in these tubes. Did you ever see this? Is this something weird no, you? This is a new one to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. So you put your legs in these tubes, and then there are um, LED lights on the outside. And then they flip a button, and it's supposed to simulate what RLS feels like. Oh, yeah so to me it simulated about 25 people pinching me really hard uh in different areas of my legs and then the the lights were supposed to correspond to (laughs) where the feeling was and i and i was it it was painful as an overstatement but it certainly wasn't um it was it it didn't feel good that's for (laughs) sure and i wanted it to end quickly um and so to me it did not feel like what i think restless feels like to the point where I thought maybe this was some sort of experiment and I was being videotaped. I don't know, but, um, (laughs) but uh, I think they missed the mark. We did get a cookie after. So that's uh, nice.
1: Oh, that, that makes it better. Uh, So, so what, so what did you experience then that felt different than that?
0: You mean personally? Yeah. Yeah. um, So I, to me when I, and I I get it occasionally um, and um, to me, it is this, uh, it is this, drive to move your legs and it seems to come from inside of the legs so it's not like on the skin it's not like itchy in that way. Um, uh, it is I can see why people struggle to to describe it. It doesn't hurt it's just um, kind of this annoying, feeling that you need to maybe like stretch your legs and then you move them and stretch them and it'll go away for a second and then you stop and then you feel like you have to do it again. So um, yeah, it is a bizarre feeling and I do understand why people struggle um, describing it. But I, I just wanted to see if, uh, you know, I was right in thinking that pain really doesn't seem to be one of the major symptoms. Exactly. that That's a perfect description. Right. Um, so what causes restless leg syndrome?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So a lot of times it kind of runs in families. Um, and so there we think that there's maybe some genetic component to it. Uh, other times it just kind of seems to be out of the blue. Um, sometimes it can be related to other medical problems that a person may have. So uh, one thing that we're usually thinking about is Is there an iron deficiency going on? Um, You know, uh, iron uh, is important for the production of uh, dopamine in the brain, and dopamine is involved in moving and sensation. And uh, so maybe that's playing a role in it. So that's usually something we're we're checking uh, in our patients with restless leg. And uh, other medical problems that can also cause it would be uh, any kidney problems, diabetes, some other neurological problems as well. Um, and then uh, finally, it's really common in pregnancy. Oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, it's uh, a very uh, uncomfortable thing that happens during pregnancy pretty pretty commonly, and uh, it can be tr- uh, challenging to treat as well. But uh, usually where we're starting is looking for any kind of iron deficiency um, uh, as a as something to treat and, and potentially make it better.
0: And so that would be a pretty straightforward therapy of just taking um... – Uh, an iron pill? Is that what you would recommend or is it intravenous or?
1: Oh yeah. So um, usually I'll start off with doing uh, oral iron. Iron can be given either by mouth or through an IV. Um, You know, the the advantage of doing it by mouth is you don't have to go to the infusion center and and have an IV hooked up and, and kind of go through that. The advantage of doing it through the IV is, uh, you can kind of get a big slug of iron all at once uh, uh, and not have to do a, a daily medicine then for it. But um, uh, almost all of my patients I, I have on oral uh, iron who, who need it, and it's usually uh, pretty well tolerated. There's some side effects that we kind of have to deal with sometimes. Iron can make you constipated. Uh, there are certain things that uh, we always try to talk about in terms of uh, – when you take the iron, you know, you want to maybe have a little bit of vitamin C with it to help the absorption. So maybe with a glass of orange juice or uh, uh, try not to take it uh, at the same time as having dairy products. So like milk or da- uh, yogurt or things like that, because the calcium in that can inhibit the absorption of it. So uh, there's there's some things that go along with it. And then we also have to kind of reassess and, and recheck levels every you know three months, six months or so, uh, to make sure that we're making progress uh, in our levels, but also more importantly, clinically, that the person's getting better uh, with that therapy. Uh, so there's iron, uh, there's, there's stuff that goes along with it, but uh, a lot of times it can be quite helpful.
0: And is this a common
1: um, oh. syndrome? yes, uh so in adults, uh maybe five to ten percent of adults uh, struggle with restless leg uh, in kids, uh, less than that, but still maybe two or three uh, percent so it is it's really common um uh, and it's something a lot of people struggle with absolutely
0: and oh, uh, just back up a little bit, I think sometimes there's confusion between restless leg syndrome and then the movements that happen while we're asleep. So with restless legs, you're really talking about, um, the feelings and the subsequent movements of your legs before you actually go to sleep. Exactly.
1: Yeah. So restless leg is, is, it's a diagnosis based on what people tell us about what they're feeling. Okay. Uh, but we also have movements that happen when we're asleep. Some of us are really restless sleepers. We toss and turn, we kick our legs a lot. Uh, and some people don't have the restless leg Syndrome symptoms, but they are very restless with a lot of leg movements during sleep that they may not actually remember. Uh, they just wake up in the morning and they feel like, man, I, I'm still really tired, but I got <laughs> enough sleep. But I, I don't feel like I slept at all. What the heck happened there? Uh, and uh, and so sometimes uh, there are people who have these leg movements during sleep uh, that disrupt sleep quality and then result in those symptoms. Uh, and really, the way that we get at looking at that is by doing a sleep study. So for restless leg, we don't need a sleep study to diagnose that. That's totally based on what someone tells us. Uh, if a person is not having uh, restless leg symptoms, uh, but is a very restless sleeper and feels or is having daytime uh, symptoms, uh, then we can do a sleep study and check for that leg movement disorder uh, that may be there causing those symptoms. And the name of that uh, leg movement disorder that we look for on a sleep study uh, it's called periodic leg movement disorder. All that that means is that you have a lot of leg movements during sleep. Those leg movements tend to come in groups, so they 're periodic and it 's a disorder because it disrupts your sleep quality and results in symptoms during the day. So periodic leg movement disorder or p l m d uh, and sometimes uh people with restless leg can have those leg movements on their sleep study um, maybe two thirds or three quarters of people with restless leg will also have a lot of leg movements on their sleep study. But, uh, again, if, if they have the restless leg, uh, uh syndrome or will disease, you don't need a sleep study to confirm the diagnosis. It's, uh, it's based completely on what they tell you.
0: And so for those movements at night, you just might be tired in the morning, even after a full night's sleep. That's one way to tell, or you could have your bed Partner glare at you while you're having your coffee <laughs> in the morning because you kicked them all night. So I think yeah. there are other ways to <laughs> to find that out. Um, all right. So why don't we talk about uh, treatments? So you first thing you said is that you look at is iron, um, and and maybe that's where it stops. Maybe that is the the key to someone's RLS. Um, what are some of? I know there are some behavioral based treatments. Um for, for some, uh, such as massage, um, heat, cold uh, compresses, things along the warm bath, things things like that that for someone with mild um, symptoms that they recommend, there are also some distraction techniques that I've I've read. That also can be useful, but it seems like for the behavioral-based treatments, it really is for people who are, are suffering maybe from mild symptoms, and if it gets more severe, those don't seem to be as effective.
1: Exactly. Uh, that Some people, their, their symptoms are so <laughs> infrequent or so mild that you can do some of those uh, pretty basic things. Uh, that, and that's all you have to do. The other one that I would add in there is exercise. Uh, having, uh, you know, regular moderate exercise can be very helpful uh, for restless leg and in sleep in general. Uh, it can make a huge difference. Uh, so exactly. So there's non, non-medicine things you can do. The other thing that uh, I think about uh, is, are there things that the person is doing or taking that could be making their restless leg worse? Uh, and are those things that we can change? So Common things would be, you know, someone's, if someone's having trouble sleeping or falling asleep at night, what are they, a lot of times, what are they going to do? They're going to go uh, to their, you know, uh, well, um, drugstore and maybe get something over the counter like an antihistamine medication that uh, could make them drowsy because they think that's what they need uh, to help them fall asleep at nights. But the problem is uh, that antihistamine may be actually making their restless leg worse uh, and exacerbating it. So that's one thing I always think about. Another is uh, – a lot of people uh, are taking antidepressants because uh, they have some trouble with mood or anxiety, uh, and uh, you know that's that's great. That can be very helpful, uh, but many of them can also uh, exacerbate restless leg, and so that's something uh, to keep in mind and uh, look at and have a conversation with who's ever prescribing that medication. Hey, is there an alternative uh, a type of antidepressant or anti anxiety type medication that might be effective for me, but may not make my restless leg worse. Uh, so that would be something to, to think about. Uh, other common things that people consume uh, that aren't medications, but are substances are caffeine, right? Uh, if you have sure. trouble sleeping uh, and you're tired during the day, what are you going to be doing? You're going to be slamming caffeine all day to try to keep you awake. But the problem is that can make your restless leg worse as well. Uh, and then finally, uh, I don't mean to be a downer, but, uh, alcohol, uh, also makes your restless leg worse. So, uh, trying to, uh, limit or, or just stop, uh, consuming alcohol that can also, uh, improve your restless leg, uh, quite a bit. Um, and alcohol disrupts sleep uh, in a major way. Otherwise, besides just restless leg, but, uh, uh, some, some things to keep in mind there. So would you add yeah. smoking into that? Oh yeah. Mixture? Yeah absolutely yeah uh good good point yeah the nicotine and and smoking and things uh absolutely
0: so so unfortunately some things that people might go to to actually um kind of indirectly manage the effects of restless legs so they're tired um so they drink a caffeine they're tired and they might be stressed so smoking and then alcohol for for some people it does disrupt sleep it uh it helps them to fall asleep Though. And so people are are understandably tired and then compensating by doing things that unfortunately can actually make it worse. Exactly.
1: Yes. Uh, So, right. So, there's behavioral things we can do, there's things that we can try to avoid or modify in our lifestyle. And then, if needed, there are medications uh, that can be helpful for us. It's like we talked about iron a little bit, and that's usually where we try to start. Uh, so we'll we'll check a level, and if needed, put the person on some supplemental iron. And sometimes that's all they need, uh, but sometimes that's not effective. And we need to go to other medications. And there's a couple different types of medications then that we can use for restless leg. Some work through the dopamine system. So, for example, like pramipexol or ropineral are uh, really commonly uh, used medications that uh, work through our dopamine system in the brain and can help calm those sensations in the legs. Uh the, the thing that uh, we need to kind of watch out for with those medications, besides their regular side effects, is they can sometimes, over time, we kind of have to escalate the dose uh, because they aren't as effective. And then sometimes they can actually worsen the restless leg symptoms with increasing doses. And we call that augmentation. And, and uh, that can be a really tricky thing to, to manage. And, and sometimes we'll have to wean them off of those medicines and go to a, a totally different Uh, type of medicine uh, then. uh, So that's kind of one big downside of of those dopamine type of medications. Um, There's uh, another group of medications that are like gabapentin. uh, There's a couple different versions of that um, that can be helpful for restless leg. um, And and there's a few others, Uh, but usually iron, some dopamine supplement if needed, maybe a, a gabapentin type medication uh, if needed, are are usually where we're starting. Um, there's a few other options, but uh, uh, we do those less less often.
0: Okay, so it sounds like med- medications are um, can play an important role for some, but maybe a second step first exploring some lifestyle changes and and iron therapy as kind of initial path. Exactly. Uh, okay. Exactly. Yeah. And then um, so and you know, closing out the medication discussion, of course, you would need to see a physician for that and, and um, get a prescription if that's the direction that you're going. There are alternative therapies out there that people can explore on their own for better or worse. We all have Google and, um, <laughs> you know, we, we all everybody even. Even doctors uh, look things up for themselves, and um, and there can be some good things out there and some bad. I was wondering if you could just talk about a few that you've heard, more popular ones, ones that you think could be helpful and ones that um, really need to be debunked.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, for all, any alternative treatment, I always try to keep an, an open mind and, uh, and kind of a willingness to try things. Uh, uh, and I, I think patients appreciate that and that's what they want. And so uh, there's, a, there's some really nice things written about um, the kind of approach to alternative therapies in general. Uh, one of our colleagues actually just, Anna Esparham, uh, wrote a, a really nice article about integrative medicine um, and kind of talking about balancing what do we know about the safety of a therapy versus what do we know about how well it works and and this kind of a thing. And Uh, You know, we're at an academic institution. We always want to kind of be out on the leading edge of new therapies. Uh, But at the same time, you know, we don't want to be out so far on that edge that we fall off the cliff uh, kind of a deal. So uh, some low risk strategies that I think would be really reasonable to do would be yoga uh, and acupuncture. Um, you know, is the evidence really strong that those are going to be super effective? Nah, but, uh, I, I, would say those are pretty low risk things that, uh, would be reasonable to try. Um, and, and I, I think can have other health benefits sometimes as well. Um, there's a, a, a new device actually. So, uh, it's like a vibratory device provides stimulation to the legs, uh, that actually had FDA approval in 2014. Uh and this is a, a fairly active area of research that I'm pre- I'm intrigued by. I think it's really interesting because it's not a medication that has potential side effects of medication. It's passive um and, and works through the uh, the body's kind of uh natural sensation uh system and nervous system uh to be a completely new mode of therapy. So there's some vibratory uh devices that people are working on. Um one that I get asked about a lot, uh, you know, there's, I get asked about every kind of supplement. Uh, most of them, we just don't know if they work or if they're safe or not. Uh, one common one would be magnesium. Uh, I at, the, at this time, there's not a lot of evidence that that's really effective as a treatment for restless leg. Uh, another one that I'm really intrigued by, though, is vitamin D. Uh, there are several studies now looking at vitamin D deficiency and uh, the risk for restless leg and showing that relationship. Uh, and so now I think the next step in that research is okay. Uh, taking those people supplementing with the vitamin D and seeing if the restless leg gets better or goes away. And I think uh, people are working on that. And that's a, I think a promising avenue of research.
0: And so with any, so with a, a lot of the, um, the possible treatments that you, you listed, people can just purchase these. You can go to uh, uh large-scale pharmacy or department store and and pick these up. And while the accessibility is good, um, uh, you would recommend that someone talks to their doctor before trying any of those things
1: correct? Yeah, of course. And so, and specifically, for example, like if you talk about vitamin D, uh, if I'm considering about doing that, considering doing that with one of my patients, I'll check a level. And I mean, if their vitamin D is insufficient, then I'll consider vitamin D supplementation. If the vitamin D is already normal, then of course I won't do it. Uh, And so uh, I think uh, if you're thinking about a supplement, it may be uh, worthwhile to talk with your provider about actually checking a level and seeing if you're already at an Okay level already, you know, and uh, and so that that therapy wouldn't make sense for you, uh, uh, that kind of a thing. So uh, yeah, I I, th- I think it would be a great idea to first talk with your doctor. You can do a lot of things over the counter. It doesn't mean it's a necessarily a good idea. Sure,
0: right. Supplements can have side effects too, and I think that it's easy for all of us to forget that we know medications um, definitely. But um, it, it feels like sometimes if you can if you can pick it up and in a pharmacy in aisle seven it's worth <laughs> worth trying and um and it, it can have detrimental effects too so um you know again uh be careful what you read out, out there i guess is the uh, is the take-home message but it sounds like that there are some um possible um, um upcoming therapies that could be helpful absolutely um so <laughs> i'll close with one that i heard of um have you ever heard of, of putting a bar of soap under your sheets i have it do tell <laughs> you, yeah no if you google this on the internet it's there and it's mainly for it's mainly for uh, supposedly to help for cramps either foot cramps or leg cramps but any kind of discomfort um and uh so you know there's no there's the 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 medical explanation for it is is really kind of funny how something in the soap can penetrate the skin or I mean it just it just falls apart pretty pretty quickly but it's it's pop you know it's 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 out there um, and I will say uh, uh, getting a really bad foot cramp in my in my right foot for uh, like several nights in a row to where it, like I, I had to keep it at a certain angle, and once it went left or right, it would really hurt. Um, I, the next morning, I, you know, I did a little googling and I and I read that and I and I thought this is ridiculous. So of course I'm not going to do it. So I did it, you know. So uh, oh, so I, I thought I'm just gonna, I had a bar of soap, but I thought <laughs> I'm just going to stick it under my sheets in the morning, and then I'll get into bed at night. I don't know, like I thought it had to percolate, or uh, you know, like it has to work its magic. Something. Yeah. I knew that it wasn't, you know, I, I I knew it made no sense from a scientific standpoint, but um, you know, if you're looking at like a cost benefit analysis, it right. yeah, it was 59 cents. I had it in the um uh, in, in in my bathroom uh, new bar and uh and then again looking at the possible side effects unlike a supplement where you really could have some damaging side effects if you took up too much magnesium or something like that i didn't think i was gonna get any (laughs) negative (laughs) uh side effects from a bar of soap um you know the funny thing is at least with the foot cramp it it seemed to help now that Uh, annoyed me because i knew that it was a placebo effect but i also looked up um stretches which in the end is what Helped, and that's why I don't have them anymore. Um, but it, I, I had to laugh because um, well. you know when you're in a lot of pain, you get desperate and you do and you do silly things. So um, I guess the I share that story because if you are going to try something that's over the counter, um, you know I, I guess the two things I would look at is one, you really want to make sure there aren't a possibility for side effects. It's not worth trying valerian root or whatever it is, um, when you're, when you're not sure what could happen to you. Right. And the second would be cost. I mean, there are pills out there. I'm sure you've seen them, Dave. We won't go into them today that supposedly treat RLS and you look at the, um, ingredients and it's, it's a lot of stuff, the things that we just talked about and are expensive, like $40 for 20 pills. And I mean, it's a lot of money. So, yeah. um, you know, it's worth thinking about trying some of these, not trying some of these things if they really end up costing you a lot and um, in the end don't do anything. Well, so um, I would just so say, I, oh,
1: you ahead. know, as I I can just you know I'll speak for all of your sleep colleagues that work with you. We all appreciate huh. you with using the soap uh, more frequently. Uh, so thank you for that.
0: You know, uh, at the very least, I'm sure it just made my feet smell good. So that was, you know, that's a bonus. Um, uh, but no, I did, I did it laughing and, and, you know, it, 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 it helped me at least to, uh, understand, you know, when you're, when you're desperate and you're, and you need, you need this, a fix, you, you try, you try anything. So, um, so I'm not, I will go uh, on record to say I'm not recommending it. Um, you know, and, uh, and then. And that I had clean sheets, I guess, too. So that was the side benefit. Anyway, uh, in closing, can you think of anything else regarding RLS that you want the uh, public to know today, Dave?
1: Uh, You know, if you if you think that you're having those symptoms, talk to your doctor about it. I mean, this is a very treatable thing Uh, and uh, you may feel a lot better. It'll improve your quality of life if you get this thing dealt with. So uh, don't don't be shy about talking to your doctor about it.
0: Good advice. Good advice. Okay, let's move on to part two, sleep apnea. Um, I uh, Now, restless leg syndrome might be um, a syndrome that people uh, might not have heard of. I will bet you most people have heard of sleep apnea. And I think if you line 10 people up and and said, do you know anyone or yourself who is who has sleep apnea or um, has used, and we'll talk about CPAP therapy, um, these days, you're going to get a lot of people that have.
1: Oh, yeah. Everybody knows, you know, uh, Uncle Whoever uh, has his has a CPAP machine. He's got his mask, you know, uh, kind of a deal. Everybody knows someone with sleep apnea.
0: His CPAP machine might be in the closet with an inch of dust on top of it, but we will talk <laughs> about that in a moment. Um, so uh, general overview, what is sleep apnea?
1: Sure, yeah. So sleep, sleep apnea just means you have pauses in breathing during sleep. That's it, and uh, it comes in different flavors. You know, Uh, you can have different reasons for having pauses in 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 your breathing. Uh, One reason is if your airway is collapsing and obstructing. So, what happens there is uh, uh, your airway uh, kind of partially collapses, you know, as you're asleep, uh, and you're still trying to breathe hard and get the same amount of air. So, the air is moving faster through your airway, and that fast-moving air can uh, create Turbulence in your airway, and uh, and then that makes your airway vibrate, and so then that causes snoring. Uh, so you see the person snoring, and then the airway may collapse even more. It may even completely collapse, uh, and so then you, they go silent. Right? You you see them trying to breathe. Maybe maybe their their chest and their belly are trying to move up and down, but you don't hear anything. Uh, and that's called an obstructive apnea. You have airway obstruction uh, resulting in a pause in breathing, uh, and then once your airway completely collapses like that, uh, your your oxygen level goes down a little bit because uh, you're not breathing in the air and uh, your CO2 level goes up, which you normally breathe out uh, when your airway is open. Uh, your brain senses those changes and goes, whoa, we need to start breathing again. And so you have a little awakening or arousal. And uh, that's good because then your airway opens up and – uh, you start to breathe again, right? You may see the person snort or gasp uh, or wake up kind of like with choking uh, kind of sounds. Uh, that's them opening the airway back up and, and starting to breathe again. So that's good, this kind of a protective mechanism. Uh, but then the problem is that cycle repeats itself. Uh, and if that's happening really frequently throughout the night, uh, then uh, you're having all these little arousals. And, uh, and again, it's one of these disorders where, uh, you feel like, man, I got the right amount of sleep last night, but I just, I, I don't feel like I slept at all the next day. Uh, what the heck is going on there? Uh, so that would be obstructive sleep apnea. The other kind of flavor of sleep apnea is called central sleep apnea. And all of that means is, again, you have pauses in breathing, but those pauses are not because your airway is collapsing and causing obstruction. It's just a pause in breathing because you're not trying to take a breath. And there can be several different reasons for that, but, uh, but that's the other flavor that's less common, uh, but it still happens sometimes. So, uh, obstructive sleep apnea and central sleep apnea are kind of the two different flavors of sleep apnea. Obstructive is, is much, much more common.
0: And, um, and, and, given that, um, maybe we'll focus on obstructive a little more, a little more today since that's the more common one. Um, what, um, is there a heredity factor? Do you find that it runs in families?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, So sleep apnea does tend to run in in families. And that probably has to do with the fact that the uh, things that can contribute to sleep apnea, like uh, the structure of your airway, so if you have a a larger or smaller airway, uh, if you have a larger or smaller jaw, if you've got a big tongue, all those things are kind of uh, anatomical factors that can contribute to airway obstruction and so uh that just the this your anatomy tends to be similar uh in families just just kind of it's something that you inherit just uh and so that's probably why it runs in families the other thing that can run in families is uh trouble with with weight gain and uh that is another big risk factor for obstructive sleep apnea is being overweight or obese and uh you know as you as you add that extra tissue uh, and your body, you can also get some extra tissue, you know, around your neck, get that big neck, uh, that can also, uh, contribute to airway collapse. And, and sometimes that fat is also deposited in the tongue and having a big tongue can also contribute to airway obstruction.
0: And so, um, it sounds like that uh, we're going to be kind of going down the road of possibly some, some lifestyle uh, changes that could help with this. Um, before that, um, so unlike RLS, this is definitely something that you wouldn't diagnose just from uh, a questionnaire because most of the symptoms are, well, the symptoms are happening when you're asleep. So either um, you wake up after a full night's sleep and you're still tired and don't feel refreshed. Um, or again, you have that you have that morning coffee conversation where you were snoring all night and uh, your bed partner is letting you letting you know that. Is snoring um, one of the most common symptoms and and is it always a symptom of sleep apnea?
1: So the most common symptoms in adults, yes, snoring, loud snoring, being fatigued during the day and being sleepy during the day. Uh, But you don't have to have all of those symptoms or you don't necessarily have to have snore. Other symptoms that people can sometimes have, uh, sometimes they're very restless sleepers tossing and turning. And that may be because they're trying to kind of reposition uh, and open up their airway, right? They'll be uh, maybe cranking their neck back, trying to open up their airway. Maybe they're breathing through their mouth. Uh, They may have gasping or choking awakenings. Um, and sometimes they have to wake up a lot and go to the bathroom a lot during the course of the night as well, actually. Uh, so they snoring is very frequently associated with it, but not necessarily, um, uh, is kind of the short answer. Um, and so to really kind of make the diagnosis, uh, if, uh, if there is a suspicion for sleep apnea, then the next step would be doing a sleep study, uh, to see if that's actually going on or not.
0: And, um, I know from our uh, sleep uh, disorder center, we have a lab. Um, can adults? With, for, if you're looking at sleep apnea, can adults do an at-home sleep study? Is that um, an option?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So, so in kids, like, so we, me and Kevin, we usually uh, just treat kids. And in kids, uh, right now, currently, the standard of care is still you got to come into the sleep lab uh, because uh, that's more accurate. Uh, and kids may not have as severe sleep apnea, so we may miss it if we do an at-home step, sleep study. In adults, that's not the case. If, if A lot of times, if, uh, if you're having an adult uh, who's presenting with symptoms concerning for sleep apnea and you suspect they might have pretty bad sleep apnea, maybe moderate or severe sleep apnea, and they don't have any real other major illnesses or sleep disorders that could uh, sometimes confound uh, the sleep study, uh, then a lot of times you can do an at-home sleep study in the adults, uh, which is, you know, more convenient, and uh, a lot of people prefer that. Uh, it's not quite as uh, necessarily as, uh, as accurate a lot of times, especially for mild obstructive sleep apnea, uh, but for someone who has minor or severe, uh, it's a reasonable option uh, for them to consider, definitely.
0: Um, and if you had to do an in-lab sleep study, it isn't the worst thing in the world. Um, when I started in this line of work, I wanted to have one just to to be able to talk to patients about what it was like. And um, no, I didn't sign up for a multi-pack where I'm you know, going every month, like some sort of timeshare. Um, I don't want to do it again. Um, it wasn't my best night of sleep, but people worry That um, they aren't going to pass it or they won't be able to do it. I think with the people who may have sleep apnea, they're pretty darn tired. Um, They usually, not always, but um, you'll sleep. Um, It's not like I said. You have it's it's a it's a test, so you have things um, you know hooked up to and everything. But it's not invasive. It doesn't hurt, um, and it's it's one night, so it's um, it's not the it's not the worst thing in the world, fortunately.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I, I did the same thing when when I was a fellow the you know, right at the beginning of the year uh, they had us do sleep studies just as, again, see, hey, experience what you're ordering, kind of a thing. Uh, so you know what you're sending people for. And it's just, I had the same impression, right? There's nothing natural about the sleep that you're getting in the sleep lab. You got all these stickers and sensors all over you. You got some stranger coming in and out of the room. You got a video camera up in there. I mean, right? Uh, it's, it's, it's different. Uh, but, uh, exactly like you said, you know, you, almost everybody gets enough sleep to where we're able to, Kind of answer the question about yes or no they have sleep apnea and if so how bad is it uh, which is really why we're ordering the sleep study in this in this circumstance
0: so i think a take-home message is if you if uh, it's determined that you need one try try not to worry about it there are um, there are many tests out there that you probably have already had in your life that are that are more invasive or, or and or painful So I mean, this is not so um so if you need it done get it done Um, All right. So you've been diagnosed with sleep apnea. What now?
1: Right. So yeah, let's fix it. Uh, So I, you know, when I think about treatment options for sleep apnea, I think of them kind of like a menu, you know, there's, uh, there's a lot of different therapies out there that we can consider and what's right for one person might not be right for another, but uh, in adults, usually the first place where we're starting is usually with CPAP. Uh, So wearing the mask on the nose at night, Uh, and it's, it's a pretty simple idea, right? Uh, in obstructive sleep apnea, your airway is collapsing and what CPAP does is it blows extra air in your airway to keep that airway open. Uh, so it's a pretty simple therapy. It's, uh, uh, all that that machine is doing is it's basically just taking air from the room and it's blowing it in your nose. Uh, it's heated, humidified, purified air. It's the best air you'll ever breathe, but, uh, it's just air.
0: And it's air, not oxygen, because that's a confusion a lot of times. People think that it's oxygen that that they're breathing, but it's just air.
1: Exactly. If if we're just doing CPAP, it's just taking room air, so uh, air from the room that has the same amount of oxygen uh, that you would normally be breathing. If Sometimes we have a patient where they also have – uh, other things going on where they may have low oxygen levels in addition to having sleep apnea where then in that circumstance we would add in supplemental oxygen to their CPAP but if it's just the CPAP machine it's just air there's no supplemental oxygen with it.
0: So the plus side to CPAP therapy is that it can be pretty darn effective. Um, the downside of bringing in the behavioral component a little bit is that it for many people, it's just it's not easy to get used to. And um, the most recent numbers I've seen is with adults, 30, 35 percent really, really struggle and either where it less than recommended or um, it's a uh, you know, in the closet with some shoes on top of it, unfortunately. (laughs) yeah,
1: Exactly right. It works, but you got to wear the darn thing for it to work. Uh, And boy, that's a hassle. I mean, you got to do it every, you know, ideally every night, you got to remember to put the thing on. Sometimes the mask doesn't fit exactly right. Or, you know, uh, there's, uh, there's some obstacles that sometimes we have to overcome. But uh, for most people it's doable. it just takes it, it's work i mean it, it takes some work it takes effort on the patient's part and and takes uh kind of pairing with your sleep team to uh to really make it work uh, uh the best that it can a lot of the time
0: and I think in the uh in the pediatric world um it's a it's a pretty straightforward referral to engage someone someone like me like a sleep psychologist to help with that in the adult world i don't know that well i don't think that that's always Um, the case. But there are um, psychologists, other mental health specialists out there um, who are trained in helping people um, change habits and make new habits. And it can be really helpful. So um, some of the adults that I've talked to, unfortunately, don't get to that point and understandably get frustrated and give up. Um, So if you're listening right now, and you're in that category you were where you were prescribed CPAP, and you're really struggling. Um, talk to your referring physician about um, engaging a either a psychologist like myself or a mental health specialist to to help with that. There really are some effective um, behavioral uh, treatments uh, to to help make it a little make it a little easier. Because the thing about CPAP, it seems, is if you could just get past that hump, and it's a tough one. Um, then you really can start to feel the benefits.
1: Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm not in my head furiously as I'm listening to you say that, Kevin. The other thing that I would add to that is, uh, really, a lot of patients need to um, advocate for them, themselves and kind of as also take a really active role in education about CPAP. Um, and so, uh, several of these major companies that produce CPAP, have, have come out with wonderful apps uh, that you can download on your phone. So when you get your CPAP, you get that app on there as well, download it and use it. Uh, and it connects right up to your machine so you can keep track yourself of how often you're using it, what are your leak levels around the mask. Uh, and there's they've also got some really nice educational materials that they've uh, uh, paired with that, both on their websites and on their apps. Uh, that can go over a lot of these things and be very helpful for people. Uh, the other thing I would say is, um, right, uh, two things. One, right up front, when you're working with uh, the company that actually provides you the CPAP machine, so they're called the uh, DME or uh, Durable Medical Equipment Company, um, you, uh, take time up front to try out different masks and see which one you feel is most comfortable that you think is uh, the most likely one that you're going to use. You want to start off with a mask that's comfortable rather than struggling with one for uh, weeks or months. And then before you finally switch to something else that's much more comfortable. Uh, and then also kind of uh, the the squeaky wheel kind of, uh, you know, gets the grease uh, there too for uh, making sure that you're getting the replacement supplies as often as you should and cleaning your machine like you should be. And, and all of those kind of maintenance things are really important uh, and something where, as a, a patient, you can kind of take a, an active role uh, and, and advocate for yourself and, and uh, to, you know, optimize your health, uh, things that you have control over.
0: Well, and this seems like a good time to, to say this then. Um, one uh, website I would recommend is Sleep Apnea. Dot .org sleepapnea.org um it is really well done uh, it's from the American Sleep Apnea Association and it talks about things like um how to reach out for uh for help with the the topics that we just discussed um you are definitely not alone in this so um before giving up um which is understandable um Make, make sure you explore all of your options. While we're on that, I'll jump back to RLS real quick because I forgot to say um, the website I like for that is rls.org. So they're both .orgs. They're both pretty straightforward names, um, and both really good. So um, there's much more information than we can cover today. Those are the websites that I would I would recommend. Um, so, David, uh, CPAP isn't the uh, isn't the next step. What are some other uh, therapies out there?
1: Absolutely. So there are several others to think about. Okay, some of them uh, are lifestyle, and some of them are not. So. Um, one thing, of course, that is incredibly hard to do, but is always important is if someone is overweight or obese, working on fitness and nutrition to, uh, get to a more optimal weight that will, uh, definitely a lot of times help with severity of sleep apnea. Okay. Uh, that's one. Another one is what are we consuming, uh, that could be worsening our sleep apnea. So Any sedative type substances or alcohol. Alcohol worsens sleep apnea. Uh, And so, thinking about that, okay, those are uh, lifestyle things we can think about. Um, A lot of people now are doing um, dental devices. Uh, So, adults who have uh, mild to moderate sleep apnea, who can't tolerate CPAP, a reasonable option a lot of times is getting a dental device uh, called a mandibular advancement device. And really, all that this is is Uh, It's a a mouthguard-like device uh, that a a dentist can make for you, and uh, you just wear it at night, and it basically pushes the lower jaw forward, and when you push that lower jaw forward, it helps bring all the structures in the airway uh, up and out, and helps open up the airway and prevent airway obstruction. So uh, that's something that uh, is a a wonderful uh, option for a lot of people. Uh, And if they're not going to use their CPAP, you know, it can be very effective as well. Um, I would say if you're considering that therapy, you know, making sure that the dental provider that you're working with has a lot of experience with these devices uh, because they also can have some side effects. uh, uh, and, And, you know, so you want someone on the team who can help you if those things come up. Uh so so there's some dental devices surgery is an option so uh in kids we are you know a lot of times talking about tonsils and adenoids but in adults there are also some surgeries uh that could be considered so uh for a while there was a surgery uh where they were uh, they would take out uh different soft tissue uh areas in the in the upper airway called the UPPP um, that's uh, not as popular there, but for some people, some people are good candidates for that still. Uh, there's a, a larger surgery that actually, um, works on the bone structure. So that, uh, surgery is actually where they, uh, uh, adjust the, uh, adjust is a, a gentle word for it. Uh, the, uh, the jaw, uh, so extending the, the lower jaw out, especially, um, to uh, help open up the airway. That's called an MMA. Uh, and that actually has some fairly decent data. It can be very effective, but, but that's a surgery. That's a surgery on the bones of your face, okay? Sure. Uh, and the kind of the latest and greatest uh, thing that's coming out is something called a hypoglossal nerve stimulator. So all that that is is uh, where they implant this uh, device that's kind of like a, a pacemaker-like device where – uh, you turn it. You turn it on at night, and when you're breathing, this device uh, delivers a gentle pulse of energy to uh, the nerve that serve your tongue. And uh, so, when when you breathe, it, it provides a little shock to your tongue, and so your tongue moves forward instead of falling back. And so that can prevent airway obstruction uh, that's happening for that reason. And so. Uh, that is becoming more and more popular. There's more uh, studies looking at that as a potential therapy, uh, and so there's there's a lot of uh, options out there surgically. I think that when you're considering surgery, the really important thing is that you are uh, meeting with a surgeon who has a lot of experience with sleep surgery uh, and is and can help determine which, if any, of these therapies you would actually be a good candidate for. Uh, that's that's really important. Um, uh, and then the other one, which I, I don't remember if we touched on, was positional therapy. So uh, some people only have sleep apnea really when they're sleeping on their back. Uh, and if during their sleep study uh, your sleep physician notices, gosh, when you're on your side or on your belly, you're not having any or hardly any obstruction at all, uh, then some, there are some positional therapy devices they could use uh, that basically help you keep off of your back while you're asleep, and sometimes that can be an effective therapy as well. So there's there's a lot of things to consider, a lot of different types of therapies to consider, um, and really it's okay what's right for this particular person.
0: Now, with that um, positional therapy, I tested one where it looks like a um, a big reverse fanny pack so it's a belt and then it has instead of the pack in the front it's on your back and it's big and it's it's soft but solid enough that if the idea is that if you start to roll on your back you can't and it hopefully doesn't wake you up. It just kind of forces you to get back on your, your side or your, um, or your stomach. And then, um, and you know, that it's not cheap. Um, You can make one um, if you're crafty or know someone who is, you can get a t-shirt and sew in a, um, a vertical, a long vertical uh, pocket in the back of the t-shirt and then just put tennis balls back there. And um, you know, so that's cheap and then it serves the same purpose if you start to roll on your back it's uncomfortable and then what you have to see is it hopefully it's not waking you up then that would not be helpful but um, it's just enough to where you go back to the position that you were in so
1: uh, Uh, absolutely yep and I've I've done that with some of my patients as well exactly what you're describing
0: yeah and then uh, – so it sounds like the take-home message is um, if you're getting an adequate amount of sleep and you're still tired and, um, and you fit some of the symptoms that we're talking about today, like snoring and things like that, um, Dave, would you add a dry mouth can be for some people with sleep apnea because their mouth yeah, is open? Yeah, sure.
1: If they're mouth-breathing all night, then you can get a dry mouth. Absolutely
0: or even headaches in the morning. Is that another one that might up for some? Yeah. Um, So if you have some of these symptoms, it's easier to identify them if you have a bed partner. But if you, if you don't, um, you know, if you're sleeping an adequate amount and, and are still tired in general, that is enough of a reason to, um, to talk to with your physician, you know, sleep, um, unfortunately in our society doesn't always float to the top of importance because we're busy and we're plugged in and we have social media and all, and all that. And, um, it's also kind of a badge of honor sometimes that, oh, I don't need a lot of sleep or I always think that's interesting because we would never say, I don't need much oxygen or oh, I don't have to drink water. You know, I mean, and it's uh, it's right up there. So um, part of my goal here is to advocate for sleep. Um, I know I'm biased and so are you, Dave. We think it's pretty darn important, but uh, but it is and it can affect so many aspects of your life. In fact, I challenge people to, to think about one where sleep doesn't affect it, whether it's mood or per job performance, school performance um, general health. So, um, so if you're tired and you're not sure why, um, talk to your doctor, get the ball, get the ball rolling. It's, it's important. Don't, don't feel like going to the doctor just because you're tired. Isn't, isn't worth it. It absolutely is. Um, anything else you want to add, Dave?
1: I no, I would just echo what you just said. I mean, sleep is a a bodily function. It's a basic bodily function that affects you know every aspect uh, of your life that we look at. I mean, uh, but the most important one is just how you feel during the day, and uh, and that's why this is such a great field to be in because when we can help people with their sleep problems, man, uh, a lot of times they are uh, very appreciative because they can feel the difference uh, a pretty, uh, a lot of times pretty quick, and and uh, it's not you know it's, it's which kind of makes it different than oh okay we got your cholesterol better oh we got your blood pressure under better control. No, you know, we treated your sleep apnea and now you're able to stay awake during the day or concentrate better or your mood's better. Uh, So it's, it's really a wonderful field. Well, and, and it's fun and interesting because there are, and
0: we just hit two, two issues, uh, regarding sleep today, right? Um, but it's also a family issue as well. So, um, if you're a parent, you're a better parent when you sleep better. Um, if you're, you're a better friend when you sleep better, you're a better partner when you sleep better. So your sleep, uh, um, affects, you know, affects your family as well. So, um, uh, it can have, uh, effect, a positive effect beyond your, um, your personal health too. So. Um, Yay, sleep. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) All right. Um, So, Dave, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Um, So informative and interesting. Um, I truly appreciate your time and thank you for doing this. Uh, My pleasure. All right. And thank you all for listening. Sleep well.